Welcome to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. I'm Gary. And I'm Sandra. And together we are the Cocktail Lovers. We're a married couple and we've been writing about cocktails for the past 12 years. But this is the place where we're going to be talking about cocktails. We're going to be talking about products. We're going to be talking about books. And we're going to be talking about the bars that we love and we think that you will love too. We'll also be checking in with some of the biggest names in the industry and asking them to share their top tips with us to help you up your mixing game at home. We like to think of ourselves as your new best friends, cocktail-wise. So let's hear what's on the show this week. We're going full-on luxury this week. Why? Because after the past couple of years we've all been through, a little bit of luxury goes a long, long way. And besides, we're all absolutely worth it. For proof, we're sipping and savouring two beauties from our drinks cabinet. The first is 71 Gin, a deliciously decadent supermodel of a spirit conceived and created like the most luxurious of perfumes – the other is Grand Marnier Couvert de Centenaire Liqueur. Claridge's The Cocktail Book is top of our Lux reading list and we stop off at the best bar in the world, the Connaught, for exquisite cocktails. In the hot seat, we have the maestro Salvatore Calabrese talking five-star bars, first-class guests and how he creates luxury drinks experiences. But first, we are the cocktail lovers, so let's make ourselves a cocktail. Now, Sandra. Yes, Gary. As we're talking about luxury, mm-hmm. and I love saying the word luxury. Yes, I can hear that you do. <laughs> I thought we should go with a very luxurious cognac-based cocktail. Brilliant. And what better than a sidecar? Mm, I love a sidecar. We do. It's one. I think if I had to do my top ten cocktails, and I do sometimes when I've got nothing to do, I try to imagine my top ten cocktails. This is right up there in the. The, the top of the top ten. Why? What is it about the sidecar? I like it because it's a classic. I mm. like it because it showcases cognac really well. And it's just uh, simple and tasty and feels like smart when you're drinking it. Mm. And as you say, it does have that luxurious feel and taste to it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And it's a, as I say, it is a classic. It's been around for about 100 years. It's mentioned in... Uh, 1919 ABC of Cocktails by Harry McKellone. And as for its creation, like so many cocktails, there's all sorts of stories about how it started and where it came from. The really popular story is about it being named for an army captain in the First World War who would dine at a Paris bistro. You know that when you're in a war and you go and dine at a Paris Paris bistro. (laughs) Well, of course, I've been in several wars. (laughs) And uh, he would arrive at this Paris bistro where the cocktail was apparently created Mm. in, guess what, being a captain, he would be driven in his sidecar next to a motorcycle. Oh, okay. Hence the name, or is it? It's also attributed to Pat McGarry at Bucks Club in London around the same time. So... As so often in cocktail folklore, I guess we may never, ever Mm, know. But we can enjoy the taste of it. That's the most important thing. So on that cue, which you've just brilliantly (laughs) thrown me, let's make this cocktail. And the other thing, you asked me why I liked it. And also the other reason I like it is it's really simple. It is just 
cognac, orange liqueur, and lemon juice. And early versions, it was very much equal parts, a bit, you know, one part of each. But as it moved on a little bit, it evolved slightly to be more of a two parts of the cognac to one part each of the Contro and the orange. So it really uh, the, does the, the showcase. The, the yeah, lemon juice so it showcases the cognac beautifully. Yeah, and that's why I, I prefer this sort of mm. ratio because it does, as you say, showcase the cognac a little bit more. And the other point worth referencing is traditionally this has a a sugar rim on the glass and some people like it some people don't i don't actually well okay that's interesting because what i'll do i'll make one with and one without i think i personally do like it with a sugar rim because i just like that sort of little taste of the sugar and and it is a very tart drink it is but the the thing that i don't like about the sugar is it, it starts to get a bit Gummy, you know, it just sort of feels gummy or gummy, 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 you know, that sort of, yeah, sort of syrupy on on the rim. But yeah, let's try both and I'll see what what, what works. I mean, what's, I mean, you've thrown me a curveball there, but um, (laughs) what you can do if you really don't like sugar in the drink, on a sugar rim rather, and you do find the drink too tart, you could just put a teaspoon or two of sugar syrup into the cocktail well why don't you do bit. half of my rim with the sugar so then i can go back to the other side when i don't you're, you're turning into a really demanding i guest am here, I'm aren't so- you? <laughs> but i want get to get out of my bar <laughs> i want to enjoy the cocktail and right. this is the thing actually if you want a cocktail a certain way, whether it's at home or in a bar, do specify it. I'm specifying that I want mine with half a rim of sugar. Thank you very much. Okay. I, I, I think the message is coming through loud and clear. So just to recap, you'd like your glass sprinkled with the tears of unicorns. Indeed, and yes. And then half the rim in sugar and half not. Okay. Right. If you wouldn't mind. Okay, well, I'll just be getting on then, if that's okay. Right, so I've got my coupe glasses chilling with some icing so they're looking very nice so into my shaker i'm going to put as i say two parts of cognac so that's uh, as i'm making one for my guest sandra four parts and i'm using h by hein cognac and the reason i'm using that is it's one of those cognacs that was developed a few years ago especially with cocktails in mind and i think it's they leave it in the wood a little bit less so it's more floral Mm. so that's kind of nice so right and it's a good thing actually because a lot of um cognac houses they were quite sniffy about um cognacs being in in cocktails before weren't they but we're noticing now that more and more of them as they should be rightly getting on board and knowing that people are using them in cocktails and if if that's the case then let them enjoy them in cocktails i think you said a mouthful there and i totally agree i think you know (laughs) great ingredients are there for great creations yeah so I'm now putting in my one part per person of uh, orange liqueur, and I'm using Cointreau because it is like... It's the classic. The classic orange liqueur, and it just works beautifully in here. And lastly, the lemon juice, which I squeezed earlier. And again, one part per cocktail, so two parts in total. So that's in. And already it just smells lovely. That combination Mm, of Cointreau and... uh, the cognac Yum, is so delicious right i've got that in now now let's get some some ice in here 
good and cold. I love this. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Super chillious. <laughs> right. We're nearly good to go. One little bit more. Yeah, that looks about right. Right. Get my shaker. I always say shaker. I don't know why. Right. <laughs> Right. Here we go. Stand, uh, stand by. Stand by. No, I'm not applauding. No, no I'm looking at you like you want to say anything while I'm concentrating on nothing. Not really. I think that it's good. I'm just watching you build up a sweat there with your with the shaking. Oh yeah. There it is. It's getting nice and frosted, the shaker, so we know that it's ready. Wow. Too yes. cold to hold, folks. Right, so just in the pop the top off of that pop put it to one side briefly mm. so i'm discarding my ice. ice from my lovely little coupe glasses those are nice those ones they're they very are. um very wee quite dainty oh they're like secondhand ones that are just um a little bit more vintage which i think goes with the whole theme of the sidecar yeah. they're old-fashioned luxurious very my favorite word Elegant. Elegant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought I'd fish these ones out. We haven't used these yeah. for a little while. They look nice. So as my guest requested, I'm putting half of your one. Oh, look at that. Perfect half. Oh, yes. it actually, it looks really good with half. It Thank like you. A, Remember, it, folks, your drink, your way. <laughs> it looks like a really cool design feature. Right, so. It looks very Christmassy, actually. Hmm. Well, we're not that far off no. in, in the scheme of things, are we? So, yeah, this is a good one, I think, with the cognac, especially a good one to bear in mind for Christmas. Mm. So the last little touch is a garnish. Quite often people call for a lemon garnish. But I prefer an orange garnish because I think it does accent, it does sits really well with the cognac and also it accentuates and the, the contra, the contra. Yeah. Mm. so I've just got a little bit of orange peel I'm just expressing the oils as they say over the glass um, and popping that in because it looks nice and then one for me there you go folks Thank the you. sidecar Ch- luxury in a glass cheers cheers now let's lean across chink Cheers. That wasn't a very big cheers, but cheers. lovely. We mm. did cheers each other, everybody. Mm. And that's so cold. It's lovely. It's perfect. Mm. It does taste crispy. Yeah, it does. It's mm. lovely. Marvellous. And I'm very happy with my one side sugar, one side not, because I can go back and forward. Which are you them. preferring? It? Um, I've just had the clear side, mm. which I love. Yeah. Yeah, the sugar's good, but I, I don't mind yeah. it without, to be honest yeah. with you. And it does work, and it's not as tart as I thought it was going to be. No. Nice, but as I said earlier, you could put a teaspoon of sugar syrup in. Mm. But yeah, the sidecar. Marvellous. Thank you very much. And to keep the cognac theme going, in our next mix-along with the Cocktail Lovers, which will be in a fortnight's time, we will be in party mode and we're going to be making a champagne cocktail. So all you'll need is some sparkling wine, some Prosecco, some Cava, Cremant or Champagne if you want to, some cognac again, Angostura bitters and a sugar cube. So as we're talking about luxury today, I've saved this gin for us because we've had it in for quite a long time and I cannot wait to share it with our our listeners. 
It's by Mert Alas, who is one part of a fantastic photography duo called Mert and Marcus. And these guys have photographed every beautiful woman that you can think of, from Madonna to Linda Evangelista to, to Kylie Minogue, Lady Gaga, Rihanna. They know style, they ooze style, yeah. and between them, they've worked for Vogue, every fashion magazine and discerning style magazine, basically. And Mert has spent the past four years developing this gin. Four He's a gin years. lover, yeah. and he wanted to create his own gin. But obviously, somebody with such a style pedigree is not going to put their name to just any old bog standard gin. So not only has he spent a lot of time in the development, but he's also spent a lot of time on the packaging and the look and feel of this brand. Yeah. So it's called 71 Gin, but not only that, it's preceded with Eau de Nuit 71 Gin. So already you're getting the feel that this is a perfume-like yeah, gin. Yeah. And to reiterate that, you can see it in the packaging. Now, you have to go to our Instagram feed to see this packaging yes, because it is a thing of beauty. Mm. It's very much in the sort of Chanel number no. 5 yeah, yeah. style of packaging. Beautiful, really heavy bottle and and carton behind it and gary how would you describe well, that, the packaging the thing I, well yes that's about the way it looks like perfumes but i really like the way it's very minimalist mm. because it's a stark white box uh very solid and there's hardly any copy on it at all there's just the name one or two other little things it's mainly the name mm. and even that is very small very smart typography so just sitting very you can imagine classic. that sitting in a sort of high-class boutique or something. Yeah, it would catch your eye. And also, I've always said that thing, it could be on your bathroom cabinet or in your drinks cabinet because it's so beautiful and you kind of want to... You would not want to throw the box away. Then we get to the bottle. (sighs) It's another heavy, heavy... It's so stunning. It is absolutely gorgeous and the 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 gin inside it's a sort of amber colored so that comes from the fact that it's rested in various casks yeah so we should get on to what how it's actually conceived because i've just waxed lyrical on the look i I would just say the bottle just looking at it from where i'm sitting yeah it's but also it's got that really again like a really solid base Mm. that again does sort of says expensive luxury this is not your Eau de Toilette, this is your perfume. Yes. (laughs) And and a proper, proper perfume, I would say, if we're talking about constructions of it. So the perfume thing is no, you know, not just us pretending about it or, or, or referring to it as a perfume. It actually has been created that way. And one of the botanicals that's in it is it's a a sweet scented night blooming cactus flower called queen of the night so that's where you get that eau de nuit Mm, feel sexy yeah and it is sexy it's very heady and this this cactus flower only flowers for one night of the year so it's very rare very precious and very sought after and um, that's one of the things that they wanted to go for so they describe it as an after hours gin and it's created for hedonists which is do you think you're a hedonist can you fit into that I, I was born to be a 
<laughs> Another thing we need to know, so it's been matured in three different types of oak casts for 71 days, and that's where it gets its name from. So after all of that, would you like to taste? Yes, please. When you said, how did you describe it again? Uh, what did you say? After hours? After hours, Gin. Gin. So okay. it's something that it's very much de- um, designed for sipping. This is not a cocktail gin. Right. It's something that you should, and I mean, look at this. You're not yeah. going to want to mix this with, with anything else. You want to get the purity yeah. of, of. Do they recommend having it at like room temperature or over ice or do they not? Both. Play? So okay. you can have it neat or over ice. That's up to you. But definitely, definitely. And look mm. at that screw top. That Everything is gorgeous. I love this so yeah. much. As you said earlier, you, you must check out our Instagram. Yeah, to you've see got to see see what it looks like. It is like a jewel, actually, yeah. the, the bottle. Right. So it's got this lovely amber hue, which comes from the fact that it is rested in these three oak barrels for 71 days, which is worth reiterating. I'll pass this on to my partner in crime. Thank you, my love. Oh, yeah, you're right about that lovely glow it's got. Mm. You wouldn't want to mess with that, no. really, would you? And it's interesting when you said about how they recommend drinking it and you sort of think of a gin and think, hmm, is that going to work? But it does. It, it's much more in that mould of a, a, a cognac yes, or, a, yes. or a really fine whiskey. Yeah. You sort of want to take it in. And savour. You sip, you savour enjoy and it very much is so stylish and so beautiful they actually they're making these in very small batches the first batch is already sold out and so they're working on batch number two which is probably being dispatched as we speak Mm. it's we're talking luxury so it is 140 pounds for the 70 cl bottle and it's available from 71 Gin. And we think this is a great one to have in your Christmas stocking. It's lovely. My pick from the drinks cabinet this week is Grand Marnier Cuvée du Centenaire. Mm. I hope I've said that Yeah, right. you and your French. I know. I'm a, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, and apologies to anyone if I've mispronounced that, yes. but I did do my best. Now, this is a special edition Grand Marnier, originally created in 1927 at the time to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the company. It's a blend of refined exo cognacs and exotic bitter liqueur. So, you may ask, but what's the difference between this and the signature? What's the difference between that and the signature? <laughs> I'm glad you asked me that. <laughs> the difference, so what is the difference between this and the signature Grand Marnier Gordon Rouge? Well, they're both 40%, mm. so no change there. But dig a little deeper. And first up, the ratio of the cognac to the orange liqueur is significantly different. In the signature, it's 51% to 49%, so 51% of the cognac. In this, it's 82% cognac. Wow. And 18% of the... God, that's liqueur. a big old difference, Big isn't old it? difference. And moreover, the cognacs are selected from two of the top cognac regions, and if that's not enough, they also rest it for a lot longer 
in the oak barrels. I think the, the signature is for a few months. This is for a couple of years. So there's lots of levels mm. of And the, you know what? Did you did you plan this? Because actually, it's the same notes as a sidecar, isn't it? You know, we've got cognac, we've got yes, orange. Yes. It, yes, it, you it, planned no, it? No, I didn't plan it. <laughs> yes, it has. No, I didn't. Uh, but it, that's a very good point. I think it, it has got those, those sort of notes, and you could probably make a very exotic... Mm sign car with this so they've done all these things which make it more and more premium so should we have a little taste i think so i love that bottle it's so curvy and now it's quite interesting the two different types of bottles that we've got this this week because we've got 71 gin which is so beautiful very straight and proud you know it's got these lovely beveled edges whereas this one is all sort of bulbous it looks like um, an actual still doesn't it yes it does actually Mm. and this is i should say it's pretty much the same shape as the the classic bottle that we all know and love but it's got a different sort of typography going on on the front a bit more sort of it it looks more premium anyway there's something very sexy about it thank you have a little now oh, that's a good nose. old rich color isn't it yeah Look, kind of tawny mm. Yum, mm. oh it smells amazing doesn't it wow we're having a good week this yeah. week aren't we there's lots of silence while we both mm. just know it. let's have a little taste and that's very it's very unctuous isn't it mm. it's it's sweet it's rich it has got this quite oh. long finish hasn't oh, it oh yeah lord that's good mm. so and it's, it's, it's kind of oh, it's it's all beautifully balanced isn't it because it's got a little bit of heat a little bit of power there is some sweetness as you said that unctuous it's got a great creaminess mouthfeel and the orange coming through oh and the orange and it is that freshness of the orange mm. it doesn't, it's not like orange juice it's, it is that zestiness like when you you sort of squeeze the peel of an orange. It's got that sort of feel to it. I really like this. Yeah, I think also it's good for people that don't like a thwack of spirits, you know, so it's sort of evened out. So you can drink it neat, but it hasn't got that sort of alcoholy burn, you know. There's that lovely sweet richness that um, that really balances out. It's a great one to have as a alternative to a cognac, if, if that is too much for you. And I... I mean, they, they say, not surprisingly, serve it neat. Uh, the way we're having it at room temperature now, it's quite over ice. Over ice, it would yeah. Work. Mm. It would, you just imagine it opening up as mm. the ice melts. And, you know, why not? I think you could, you know, you possibly shouldn't, but you could put this into a couple of cocktails mm. and make really luxurious cocktails. Like like you mentioned, that sidecar. With the sidecar, yeah. You know, you could make this your super luxurious mm. sidecar. Why not? You know, and that would add that little hint of sweetness to it, which would yes, work well. Yes, it would work really well. Marvellous. So, so how is, much is that one? This is £115. Okay. Good. Well, we're so talking today, luxury. Come we on. We are talking yeah. luxury today. So there we are. That's the Grand Marnier Cuvée du Centenaire. Marvellous. And now for a cocktail hack from one of our experts. Hi everybody, I'm Lorenzo Antinori, beverage manager at Four Seasons Hotel Hong Kong and my cocktail hack is adding uh, almond oil to your whiskey, gin or favorite spirit. Let it infuse in the bottle and uh, you can do 50 grams of almond oil for one bottle of spirit of your choice. Keeping it in the freezer 
overnight and then simply strain it out the solidified fat the day after. You can then use that spirit to craft your favorite cocktail. For example, if it's a gin, it would be a almond oil gin and tonic. You can also make your own old fashioned, which will have this beautiful almondy and fatty mouthfeel. Uh, so if you use a whiskey, for example, you can infuse your own bourbon or scotch with almond oil, freezing it, let it sit overnight, and then the day after, using it in a creation such an old fashioned or a Manhattan. Fats are a beautiful alliot when it comes to introducing exciting flavor. For more from the cocktail lovers, see our digital and print magazine and make sure that you subscribe. You can find out all about it on our website, thecocktaillovers.com. And also you'll find out where to subscribe for our magazine, which is available four times a year in digital and print. We're talking luxury. We have to be talking the Connell Bar in Mayfair. Absolutely. It's currently the world's best bar on the 50 best bars list. So it's not just us voting it number one. 500 industry peers have voted it number one too. And it's also the GQ bar of the year. And not only that, it's pretty much picked up every award going from the team to the best hotel bar to the best bar in the world. And and all deservedly so absolutely so so. and the thing is you it's been going for what 11 12, 12 years, years. 12. we went there right at the beginning we did. i'm didn't really we? happy that we've we've sort of followed them on their journey yeah we we loved it from day one and we've been going back ever since ever since and fairly damn regularly yes. really and it's it's a wonderful team there that is presided over by agostino peroni Maura Milia. Maura Milia and Giorgio Bargiani. Yeah, and they're fantastic. fantastic. And the rest of the team are equally All fantastic. All of the team are great. And they exude a kind of warmth. And it is a luxury bar, but what I love, it's like having a rich friend who hasn't lost their roots. Mm. You know, you go in there, yes, it's luxury, but you feel at home. Yes. Yeah. They've opened up their home to you. And you get, there's also a little cheekiness, which I love about the service there. There's always a little bit of a smile, a little bit of a wink, you know, yeah, it's twinkle just, in the eye. Yeah, yeah, really, really good. So luxury doesn't have to mean pompous. Luxury can mean accessible and just feeling absolutely assured and glamorous. It does. So m- maybe you could describe the bar itself a little bit. Well, there's a kind of art deco elegance to it. It's inspired by English an Irish cubist art of the 1920s, designed by the fantastic David Collins Studios. So there is that signature style that David Collins Studio do very well, which is about luxe and glamour and style. You know, there's mirrors and, you know, it's just, it's it's beautiful. It really is. And it's not a huge space. No. It's quite intimate. And uh, they've the, divided it up into sections, yeah. and that works really well, yeah, doesn't and it? and the bar area itself is very small. And it's not a bar that's really designed to sit at. It's much more about sitting in these nice little uh, tub chairs or mm. little alcoves. So great for dates, great for sort of small gatherings, mm. very intimate, I think yeah. that word that keeps springing to mind. So in terms of the drinks themselves, there is, of course... The, the martini. The martini <laughs> trolley. But I'm going to park the trolley and yes. come back to that. Literally that, park the trolley. Park the trolley. 
But they've got a section on their menu which is classics, or rather, as they're referred to, rightly so, as masterpieces. So this is their take on things like uh, the Bloody Mary and so forth and the Collins, but taken to the, the next degree, if you like. And, of course, they've got their own recently launched yeah menu. the for my menu which That's is it. wonderful which is you were talking about the design of the bar itself earlier and this menu is i believe all inspired by the shapes and that the can be found feeling. in the bar yeah and it's really worth actually you know taking a moment to go through the menu and also if you can and there's time to talk to the team if they have time to just ask them to show you some of the references because it's very clever and very very thoughtful and it is a wonderful not only the menu the construction of the menu but the construction of the drinks as well and and it's resulted in drinks that are real works of art Mm. so there'll be little sort of spots of edible paint on ice cubes and things like that but everything's done with a reason yes and of course they they result in masterpieces masterpieces and delicious delicious drinks Mm. so do do check out that but should we return to the the trolley that well, I popped up earlier? Is, yes, absolutely. I think that trolley is waiting to be explored. It is. So, as I said earlier, the uh, the bar area isn't really uh, designed for sitting at. So, instead, when you order uh, a fabulous martini, they bring the theatre of the bar to, to the table to your table side, and it's a beautiful trolley. That uh, who it was Wes Pickering. It's called Incorporate the it, the, yeah. the company, and they have been behind some of the the best trolleys and drinks experiences, particularly I would say all kinds of drinks experience. So when up the Artesian were doing their clever and creative menus incorporate were behind them so this trolley is a thing of beauty it's a Tanqueray designed trolley but it is very much the Connaught signature they bring the the trolley to your table it's a thing of beauty as Sandra just said and then it's about uh, having a conversation with who's ever making your martini and they you know you'll talk about the gin you'll talk about the vermouth but critically you will talk about the bitters. The bitters, because they've got a selection of the bitters that they make themselves. And they will talk you through them. You can smell them all. So for me, it's a little bit like the bespoke quality of having a suit made. Mm. Uh, or indeed, a, a dress made. But you discuss the details, and the details are the bitters. And yeah. how you like your martini. And it's also like, if you've ever had an aromatherapy massage, where your therapist will say to you to smell the aromatherapy oils that best resonate with your mood at that yes. moment. And so it's that kind of thing, that you resonate with a particular bitters to drive your martini experience for yeah, that day. Yeah, which means you can go back countless times yeah, and have a different and have a experience, different experience mm. with that martini so then they, they, they they've got the ingredients they assemble them in the mixing glass they mix it slowly and thoughtfully but the thing i love and this I, every time i see this i'm i'm astounded by how they do it and i'm going to try and describe this for you so they, go on good they, luck <laughs> so they they once they've got the, the liquid beautifully combined and ice cold in the mixing glass they then take the mixing glass in one hand mind mm. and hold it as far, a loft. A loft is a good word. A loft, as far as they can extend their arm above their head. So it's something like, I don't know, a metre, a metre and a half above the glass. And then they just pour this 
so effortlessly deftly e- and effortlessly easy for me to say <laughs> into the glass and, and while they're doing that they then spritz the pouring liquid with the zest of a lemon mm. so that looks and all the time while smiling yeah <laughs> it really is pure theater and it's yeah. one of the things that if you're sitting at another table and you see this going on you have to order this martini trolley at your table as well because you want to be part of that experience yeah and it's something that they own and it is a thing of beauty and it's worth going just for, just for that. that. Just but for that. as we said, you must try some of the other drinks, but the martini is definitely a number it, one it's, choice it's, on there. Yeah, even putting all the theatre on one side, it is a, such an exquisitely mm. delicious Martin. I'm I'm salivating. Yes, at the I think of it at Gary's the waiting to get rid of this thing, and then we can go <laughs> no. off and have a martini. But it, it is such a great, great martini. But they have also created the number eleven martini, yes. which was to celebrate their eleventh year, I believe. Um, and this one again, it's table side, but it's it's done in a different way. So you don't get the trolley. It's more of a a tabletop minimalist. Con- isn't yeah, it? yeah, it's a tabletop contraption that they put in front of you and it is to replicate the number 10 martini which is a the tanqueray style from the trolley and it has all of the aeration that you get from the high pour because they've done this in in this little vessel i can't explain exactly what it's like i'm trying to find the, the words thing is, but I can't. it's a bit of magic that we don't know what goes <laughs> how how they've done it yeah exactly but it's served in a yeah. in a beautiful hand painted glasses oh they're exquisite yeah they? and they're yeah. done with um they're flecked with five colors it's like jackson pollock style it's inspired by yeah. jackson pollock but the five colors are to replicate the five bespoke bitters that go into the martini. And then there's um, a lovely half-cut diamond device that's in there. So they have taken all of the elements of their classic martini and put it into the number 11. And this is just as delicious, a bit different. It's a bit softer, I would say. We had one each, didn't Mm. we, of these? And it's it's good fun to compare and contrast the two because they're both brilliant. They're wonderful. They Again, everything here is a complete work of art. So we would say, you know, this is our number one choice for our luxury issue for good reason. We make no apology for our love of Claridge's. And just when we thought we couldn't love it anymore, along they come with Claridge's The Cocktail Book. And it's perfect for our luxury episode of The Cocktail Lovers. So here it is, a beautiful, glossy, art deco gorgeous tomb of a book it's black it's gold it's got it's it's just sumptuous isn't it it is it sort of looks kind of halfway between a a coffee table book and a recipe book but certainly i think leaning towards the coffee table because it does look look so beautiful you want to have it around and keep dipping into it so should we sort of break it down a little bit yes it works yes so it's written by the director of bars dennis brocky and Nathan McClarley O'Neill, who's director of mixology at Claridge's. And the two of them have put so much work into this book. There's over 400 recipes, some classic, some new, some 
borrowed from other bartenders, but everybody has been credited. But everything has been tested to the nth degree in this book. And they've all been given the seal of approval by the Claridge's bar team. Yeah. And I think uh, let's talk also a little bit about the way it kind of does shape up. So there's the sections are, for instance, champagne and sparkling, stirred and complex, short and sharp, long and refreshing, no and low. And that encompasses drinks from across all the bars in Claridge's Hotel. But I know something you particularly like was those numbers, because you love numbers. I love them. But also because they're done in quite a playful way. So it's not like boring stats. These are the kind of things that people want to know. So how many cocktails do you think they make per annum in Claridge's? All right. I'm not even going to guess that one. Okay. (laughs) 53,714. Good Lord. And out of those, how many do you think are martinis? Uh, well, I know, speaking from personal experience, I'm sure that you and I have got, <laughs> We've had quite a pretty a good dent in there. Research, Gary, research. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so they make 13,604 martinis are poured, and they're poured straight from the freezer. Minus 19 degrees, which is, you know, these details I love. Yes. How many glasses of champagne do you think they serve? Oh, again, I I can't begin to guess. Well, Claridge's actually is a champagne bar, even though they do serve cocktails. So that accounts to the fact that they have, in stats here, 35,425 glasses of champagne are served per annum in Claridge's. So we've got all of that down. (laughs) Let's um, go a little further into the book. So you love all the way that it's been broken down. Yes, I do. And and as well as uh, all of the, the cocktails that they have, they've got lots of little tips and tricks as well. So even about hosting your own cocktail party or building your own home bar, things like that, which are wonderful little gems coming yeah. from these guys. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also, I think what underpins the book really nicely as well is, as we said, it looks very sexy. Uh, the photography is stunning. Absolutely. So they, they've shot lots and lots of cocktails all within the situation of Claridge's Hotel. So they're whether they're in the bar, on the stairwell, whatever. So they look beautiful, but also... I love the illustrations. The illustrations. They're really, they're kind of, they're quite playful, but they really evoke the spirit of being in Claridge's. I'm looking at one now in the fumoir of a couple toasting each other, sitting at the bar. And it's so elegant and charming and makes you want to be back in that bar. Absolutely. So, you know, we've gone through, they've got lots of different recipes, all of them from the bars in in Claridge's, as we said. So there's Claridge's Bar, the Thumoir, the Painter's Room and Davies and Brooke. But they also have some favourite recipes from other bartenders um, around the world. So we've got some from Eric Lorenz from his time at the the Savoy or Ryan Chetiwadana from Lioness, which is lovely. Um, I'm looking at a recipe here, which is dedicated to a friend of ours, called Paul Cole. Oh, I hope yes. you're listening in, yeah. Paul. And it's called the Coley. He's had a drink named after him. We what? haven't yet. What no. do we have to do to have a drink <laughs> named after us? But yeah. this one, it is 15 mils of Smith and Cross Jamaican rum, Campari, Campano Antica Formula Vermouth, Havana Club three-year-old rum, Amara Avena, and two dashes of Bob's Chocolate Bitters. 
and an orange twist. That's a big old drink, Paul. <laughs> I love that. Loving your style. And I mean, I, I there are so many that I could pick out, but there's one that caught my eye because I remember having this in the bar and I would like to have a bash at making it myself at home. And this is the Royal Stag. This is actually one of Dennis's creations. Ah, yes. And it's made with uh, the Dalmore 15, Sweet Vermouth Blend, Campari, Benedictine, Bob's Chocolate Bitters, Roasted Almond Tincture, and a square of dark chocolate to garnish. So... Yeah, I, I'm going to put aside some time to see if I can make that Oh, home. I think so. I think this is a perfect season for making that. But, you know, there's so many great treats in here. As we said, if you're just into pictures, you'll be, you'll be stunned and delighted. If you want to make cocktails, there's so many that you can choose from here. Or if you just want to learn about the history of things like the Martini or the Negroni, or as we said, you know, setting up your own bar and thinking about how they put all of the drinks together at the Claridge's, then this book has got everything you could possibly need. And it's only £25. I think that's a bargain. Absolute so bargain. It was, so it's a great gift, but also definitely to get one for yourselves. I would say. Yeah. And so that's Claridge's, the cocktail book, and it's published by Octopus. Salvatore Calabresi, a.k.a. The Maestro, is one of the most respected high-profile bartenders in the world. With more than 50 years in the industry under his belt, he's added style and sparkle to some of the finest five-star London establishments, including Dukes, The Lanesborough, Salvatore at 50, and now The Donovan Bar at Brown's Hotel. Always immaculately turned out, he's made cocktails for everyone, from Her Majesty the Queen to Nelson Mandela, Sean Connery to the Rolling Stones. But as someone who prides himself as being the perfect host, he always treats every guest like a star. But it's not just about being in front or behind the bar. Salvatore is a consultant to the bar industry and select brands. He's also a sought-after judge for worldwide competitions, and he shared his wealth of experience in best-selling books and bar tools. Salvatore's respect for spirits takes in the old and new, creating fresh-tasting liqueurs and cocktails, such as his breakfast martini, which celebrates its 25th birthday this year, as well as working with vintage spirits, most famously creating the world's most expensive cocktail in 2012. We couldn't think of anyone more qualified to talk about luxury and drinks. Salvatore Calabresi, welcome to the Cocktail Lovers podcast. Wow, after this introduction, well, as I'm going to say, God, you really put me on the throne now. Oh, thank you very much. Lovely to, to see you and to talk to you. Yes, it's so wonderful having you here. We're, we must explain, actually, we're in a hotel room in Athens. Very cosy. Very cosy, because last night we shared a great experience with Salvatore, who was celebrating the 25th year of his breakfast martini. Yeah, and my shoulder's still very sore today. <laughs> I've never shook so many breakfast martini <laughs> in my life in, in any one go. Yeah, was it really was good. wonderful. And as ever, they were delicious. Absolutely oh, thank delicious. You. Thank you. So let's get on with our interview, because okay. we're doing all about luxury. 
And one of the things that we wanted to say, your name is synonymous with luxury and style and luxurious drinks experience. What's your definition of luxury? I think luxury for me, definition, is not just how you dress the place, because as you know, you know, I have worked in Mayfair for many years and Mayfair, it calls for luxury. But it's not the place what makes the place, it's the people inside. And I hope uh, it's my team, it's my my customer, the dress code, the, the way my guys perform. It's, it's a really showcase, it's a luxury showcase, right? You can go to Gucci, Salvatore Ferragram across the road. It, it doesn't really matter, it's all luxury. But luxury, you... You know, it's, you can do many things. You can see it, you can feel it, you can mm. touch it, you can wear it. What I do, I hope I do, I sell hospitality in a luxurious way, you know, and um, and that's what I really truly enjoy. And it doesn't really matter, you know, how uh, it's not how much money people do have because you never know. It's like a closed book, you know, you, you see a customer, uh, you, it's almost like reading the covers of anyone who comes to the, to the bar and then you start to say, okay, let me open this book, let me open, let me mm. understand this person who's in front of me, what kind of person he is. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, luxury is also able to make a very special occasion for somebody who comes and uh, wants to spend uh, their wedding anniversary or a very special time and to feel proud to, to be choose or choice, you know, to be their choice, to, to, to come to your mm. place. And obviously luxury is also where you, where you, where you serve, you know, a great cocktail, great wine, great champagne. And obviously, as you know, you know, if anyone will say about luxury, you know, I have a very unique way of uh, selling uh, liquid history, yes. something that is very unique to me, uh, some, a concept that I have created while I was at the Dukes uh, in 1983, 84, only to create what I call exclusive luxury. Uh, because at the Dukes at the time, I was only six table. And I could only serve 20 people at any one time. So I couldn't work with quantity. And so therefore I, I come out, I'm a very eccentric, as you know, you know. <laughs> I come out always with this crazy idea and I come up with this, uh, this concept of, of thinking, well, Duke's a very historical name, London, very historical town. I had all this history around me, but one thing that was missing behind my bar was a little bit of liquid history. Mm. And I come up with a bit of a, with this crazy idea of selling liquid history. I remember that it was a very challengeable, but uh, I took that little bar from, uh, I, I take in between four to 500 pounds a week, up to 10,000 pounds wow. per table. And it was amazing, you know. So it was a two concepts that I created in a luxurious point of view. You know, it was one, the liquid history. And then in 85, I created the ultimate martini, you know, the direct martini, or what I call the, the naked martini, the very uh, super cool and super dry martini, mm. which... Uh, uh, almost uh, it was the birth of bringing the freezer behind the bar. Because yeah, explain that a little bit more about the naked martini because some people may not know what that means. It's basically it's very little dilution. 
although there is dilution, mm. I always say it took God six days to create the perfect world. It took me five to create the perfect world. <laughs> and, uh, and this because uh, I had a customer who his name was Stanton Delaplane, who I did not know who he was, who he was very specific. I want this martini. He wanted very dry and very cold. So to make it very cold, obviously, was over diluted and uh, over stir. And he used to say, yes, this is cold enough, but it's not dry enough. And uh, I used to do the second one. I was lucky that he used to have a two every day. <laughs> and uh, then the second one, I used to make it dry and he used to be referring. He was a very specific person. And, you know, sometimes arrogance should not be part of our world because whatever the customer wants, that's the way I grew up, uh, is what the customer should have. Yes. And uh, so I persevere, persevere how to fulfill his expectation. So at the Duke's, it was a little sink, a nice bucket. It's a, a small bar. Bus- yeah, picnic basket, a little station to hold the glass, and a little domestic fridge with a, a little fr- uh, doll, which was a little freezer big enough to put one bottle of gin and two glasses. <clears throat> and when the Mr. Delaplane came on the fifth day, I knew exactly what to do. I put the vermouth in the dash bottle to control it, extra dry. And uh, when he came on the fifth day, he asked for a very dry and very cold dry martini, like a broken record. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, okay, Mr. Delaplane. And so I pick up the glass from the freezer. But at that time, uh, as I said, there was no approach about bringing ingredient in the freezer, mm. you know, especially the glassware that now you see in every bar. And I put the glass on the, on, the, on the counter, at the bar counter, and it was really cold. So I took the bottle from the freezer. Obviously, I put ice in the mixing glass, but and ready to serve and stir it. But somehow I thought the bottle was cold, the glass was cold, and I poured it directly in the glass. And then I laid the vermouth on top. And now what happened, the vermouth was playing its uh, essential part because there was aroma, mm. there was an integrity as you used to taste it, you used to have a hint of vermouth, right, the dryness, and the twist of lemon, and super cool. I mean, the, the secret of a great martini, I mean, once I had an article from Kinsley M, remember Kinsley mm, M, yeah. and what I was calling him, I would have called him the Ernest Hemingway, the English Ernest yes. of Hemingway, always used to wear this blazer and the, and the cravat, Right, and he used to come for the martini and the Bloody Mary and the Manhattan. <laughs> and the once he wrote an article in an illustrated London New by and said, I have a find a bar with a bartender to match. He might have an equal or two somewhere around the world, but I don't think any superiors. How difficult there is to create, to make a very a dry martini, which stays cold enough throughout the drinking mm. period. And that is the secret. Mm. And that's the secret of the Duke's martini. So I pour it directly and I serve it to him, Mr. Delaplane. He had a sip, didn't complain. He finished the drink. He asked for the same again. And because he did not complain, I made the martini in the same way, directly in the glass. And he took one sip and walked away. A few hours later, I said, oh, blimey. You know, what happened? What happened? He didn't complain. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm happy now, you know. And a few hours later, he came back down and introduced himself for who he was, Stanton Delaplane, an extraordinarily famous journalist who used to write for the San Francisco Chronicle, yeah. Los Angeles Times, and the Irish New York coffee Dump. he made. Yeah, he brought the Irish coffee to, to San, Francisco. San Francisco. And amazing, he made that bar famous and he made the Duke's bar famous 
because there where he wrote an article and when he introduced himself who he was, he brought me this article where I was saying, you know, uh, if you ever go to London, you must make a stop at the Duke's Bar yeah. where Salvatore will make the best martini in the planet. So he was the stamp. Mm-hmm. And every time he used to come, he used to write about my martini. And through that, you know, uh, the New York Times wrote about Duke's Martini to be number one, and the Times did the same. There was a challenge, and uh, and the show all started in 1985, and the Martini took me all the way to royalty, you know, because Her Majesty obviously did the heard about. And she my, loves the Martini. Oh yeah, I, I can truly <laughs> say you talked about luxury. My Martini was luxurious because I had the. Uh, two royal, uh, have a true royal crest on the Martini because she didn't have one, but actually two in that respect. Wow. Gosh, well, you tell, see? T- tell us about when you served that. Well, it was actually quite nervous, you know, because of uh, I, I remember when um, I told my general manager at that time, and, you know, the Duke says, so I'm doing a little private party. I said, oh, okay, fine. You know, eventually Lord Westbury, who was a very close friend of uh, Her Majesty, said to me once, you know, Salvatore, I want you to come and do your famous. Martinis, of course, I'll do that for a private party, only 12 of them. And uh, I said, There is a very special lady at that time. I said, Okay, very special lady. Then he said, Oh, for this special lady, can you find me a cognac from the 1926, the year of her birth? I said, Okay, Lord Westbury, I tried to figure out a way how to find this cognac from 1926. So then eventually I go back to him. I said, I have uh, found this bottle of 1926 cognac for this special lady. And then I said, But my lord, uh, who is this special lady? So, oh, Her Majesty. <laughs> now imagine when I went to my general manager and I told him about my encounter with Her Majesty. And he said, No, 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 no. He got very nervous. It made me more nervous. He said, You can't not go like that. I said, What do you mean? How do I go? You know, and he said, Well, no, no, you have to learn how to address Her Majesty. So he sent me to make to have a course how to appropriately address Her Majesty, you know, which was very funny. But it was very amusing because at the end of the dinner, you know, uh, she had a, a dry martini and uh, she didn't have no wine and she finished off her two dry martini, actually. Please cancel this. <laughs> <laughs> but she truly enjoyed it and uh, she did not complain and actually she, she gave him a sense of approval. And uh, by the end of the dinner, you know, I brought the bottle of, of uh, cognac to oh, her, the nice. 1926, and um, so she, you know, you always address her, even if she's not the host, you know, you always address her. And so I introduced this bottle, you know, exciting to open this bottle, and she, she went like that. I said, bloody hell, I, 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 I spent all this time to try to find this bottle, and now she denied, well, what am I going to do? So I, I persevered, I said, mom, it's a great year for a great lady. She looked at the bottle, she saw the 1926, she smiled, and she gave me the sense of approval. So I opened up the bottle of a 1926 cognac. Oh, fantastic. Wow. That's a beautiful story. You've got so many stories because you've served so many great guests, haven't you? And oh, yeah. there's the wonderful one with um, Stevie Wonder. Oh, you you me, now, the soon you said our words, you made me shivering. I mean, mm. you know, it's a story that. Uh, I enjoy telling the young bartender because uh, young bartender today, the true artist of work, and it's amazing. I have an incredible team, you know, Federico, Pavan, Cristiano, Maurizio, and they are 
see the skills, see the way they really create a drink and they put it together. I mean, you know, it's totally different from my old days when uh, when I started. There was twenty, thirty bottle max behind the mm-hmm. bar. Now I have hundreds of bottles. Yeah. You know, the knowledge, the way how they create flavors and aroma. All you need is give them a direction, and there they are. And um, and the true, the artists of work, but you know. Being a bartender, to be great of what you do, it's not just one journey. Mm. It's not just a genuine mixologist. And that's what we call about luxury. It's also the other hand. You know, that's one hand, the art of mixology. The other hand is about the art of hospitality. Mm. And if you're able to join both hands together, now you can call yourself great of what you do. And uh, that's what I do, you know. And it's nice to see that um, my guys have that, mm. you know, the sense of welcome, the sense of bye-bye. And um, I, you know, I one day I had the Stevie Wonder come to my bar. That was when you were at the Lanesborough? Uh, when I was at the Lanesborough, 19, oh, I can't remember, the late 90. I mean, I even have a picture with him that his, general, his manager uh, was Fabregas. He, he was totally blown away because uh, Stevie Wonder never takes his glasses off. And he took his glasses off to oh. take a very unique picture with me, and which I still have. But what I loved about the story of Stevie Wonder makes me very uh, feel special of what I do. It is one night I create a cocktail for him, Champagne Wonder, which he, he truly was enjoying it. And uh, he had quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are not here to talk about how no. many drink, but no, no, you know, no. it's about him. A created environment makes somebody feel comfortable. Mm. And uh, I had the Brian, my pianist, playing the piano. And at one moment, I see Steve was listening to the music, but rolling his head, you know, he, he, feeling, a, it. feeling it. And he was really enjoying it. So I went over to him. I said, Steve, would you like to play? And he said, oh, I'd love to. So he stood up and I took him to the piano. Now he didn't play one or two songs, but actually play over half an hour wow. in my bar. Truly enjoy it. That means he felt at home, mm, really yes. did. Now imagine how magical it was for those people in my in the bar to hear Stevie Wonder. You can't pay, yes, yes. Uh, you know, it's just uh, them and touching distance mm. of Stevie Wonder. But what was more magical for me was that uh, at the end of the evening when uh, he, he stood up to leave, and I went to embrace him and I said bye to him, and he started to blow. And uh, I said, Steve, what's that for? You know, why you approve? And he said, from one artist to another. And that's what we can be. Mm. You know, if we love what we do. Yes, it's about luxury. Obviously, I do work in luxury place. But I think it's not the place who makes the place. It's the people inside. Absolutely. You know, and and all goes with that. And also, as, as Gary said in the introduction, you make everyone feel like that. It's not just about being royal or being famous. Mm. Everybody is royal and famous to you, aren't yeah. they, in your bar? I, I think, you know, I've been in this industry now for, for 55 years. I started you don't look old enough. <laughs> I know. I didn't put that much. You started as a child, right? <laughs> I started as a child at the age of 11, and it's oh. been a real true journey. A journey of experience because you understand that uh, when somebody comes to your home or your place of work, because if you spend 12 hours in your place of work, 
treat it like you're home. Mm. Treat it like if you enjoy what you do because you've got to be there. So might as well enjoy it. And, uh, and you can see when you soon you give them that welcome. I mean, the first impression is the most important thing because I think we don't smile enough, mm. you know, and we should really smile with our eyes and with our, our mouths and be sincere how we smile and how we give the welcome. It's a warm approach and straight away you, you feel how people can relax, you know, how people, do, even the worst customer, you know, if you're good at what you do, you make him feel special yeah, yeah. that eventually will relax you know and uh, it's 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 beautiful to see i, I really truly enjoy them and, and what about so you do that in the bar what about creating that kind of feeling in in your home so we're talking to our guests as well mm-hmm. our, our listeners what can they do to create that kind of feel at home i think at home you know even if it's just you and your wife I, I try sometimes, you know, to make that special occasion, mm. right? And it doesn't take much, you know. The, obviously, we are comfortable in our own home and uh, we like to fill uh, our space and our way. And our comfort. But sometimes it's nice even just to change the ambience of the light, the ambience of, uh, you know, making a drink. Right. My wife is an incredible cook, so I wouldn't challenge her on cooking, you know. Unfortunately, sometimes she moans at me because I don't sometimes I know you make a gin and tonic for her. <laughs> because, you know, working in this industry is a long, you know, you try to avoid it when you, you try to switch off. When you have friends, you know, the expectation, the expectation is not just to open the door and let them come in. And yes, it's your home. Mm. It's to go one step beyond the expectation. That means, you know, trying to give them a little, without of a push of what you do, mm. just in a relaxing way to make feel a uh, thing happen. You know, that glass was sparkling or champagne, just the cook pop, you, mm. know, you know, just uh, the opening or you just the clink of the, of the glassware, you know, or you're making a martini, mm. you know, so therefore I always have a bottle of gin or vodka in the freezer, you know, and, uh, and some, you know, so should we have a nice martini, you know, or a Negroni or uh, some simple thing. Mm. Yes. At home, it's not about complicated drink. It's about simple drink, yes. right? But simple drink done well. So what I always say, if you have to make a drink, right, go and see how maybe a professional guy does it. You know, there is many uh, YouTube video now and you talk about it. I mean, I love what you do. When you start, you always have a drink, yeah. you know, and uh, that is a celebration. Yes. You know, it's, uh, it's not about abusing. It's a celebration. Mm, yeah. You know, it's about... Uh, uh, as I said, you know, making a great drink is a work of art. You know, from the moment you drink it, you know, your work of art is start to to blossom. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's it's a beautiful. You know, it's sometimes it's what what you can make with a simple drink, two or three ingredients. You know, why do you want to hover to do anything overcomplicate yeah. things? It's, it's interesting as well. You said that a simple drink for breakfast martini, and I've got to say. We've made that for each other so many times over the years, yeah. haven't we? It's a great brunch drink for us on Saturday yeah. and Sundays. And every time we make it, we always 
cheers you. Oh, so, sorry. <laughs> so, and you mentioned your wife earlier, Sue, and I believe, or we believe, she was the inspiration. For it was. That. I mean, you know, the, 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 the incredible thing is, you know, you, you think you inc- you create a new. I mean, certainly, I sparked the, the the world of bartender, the idea of using jam and marmalade. Okay, and in 1996, I uh, I had the experience of marmalade before, obviously, but never never sparked my mind never and but one day i don't do breakfast in the morning you know i have a have uh, your coffee i have my coffee and, and that's true it, italian, you know, <laughs> true italian. <laughs> but my wife sees me first thing in the morning you know and i'm not a pretty side <laughs> and um, and she always used to say and she still does you know why don't you have a breakfast that makes you you know, gives you some energy, you know, and I uh, always refused the encounter first thing in the morning. And, uh, but one morning I must have looked worse than worse, <laughs> more tired than normal. And she didn't do no more. She introduced me with this toast with marmalade on top and she gave me a command, have it. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, then when you don't really truly wear the trousers any longer, you know, <laughs> who is the boss, you know, so I obey and, uh, and as I say, you know, I taste marmalade before, you know, but it never really came out of my mind mm. to do anything. But as I was tasting this uh, toast of the uh, bitter tangy taste of the marmalade, and remember on those days in the 90s, it was the new era, the golden era of the cocktail ways. I mean, I hope I have uh, inspired a lot of people. I hope I've been one of them who create this new inspiration Absolutely. where I, I start to bring, you know, you're talking about luxury now. Cocktail was the way of thinking uh, not to use expensive ingredient, not to use the good gin, not to use the good whiskey, mm. not to use mm. the, you know, the good uh, base, you know. And for me, I changed that because yeah. I start to say, well, cocktail should be just a luxurious and taste of anything else, mm, yes. not using cheap ingredient to make a bigger revenue, you know. So I start to use a, a, a premium spirits in my drinks and I really start to change the base, you know, start to use fresh ingredient when before it was about sweet and sour and in the, in the powder, mm, powder yeah. uh, packet, you know. And uh, so I start to really... I start uh, those period. I was always intrigued. What else I could do next? What else I could do next? I start to use a balsamic. I start to use even salmon in the drink, garlic. Wow. Uh, you know, kind of a thing. You know, just, just try to, and yeah, out. just to go above the barrier. You mm. know, the, the 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 new intrigue about the new way I had to drink cocktails in that respect. And uh, obviously, you know, when I ate the toast with marmalade on top, it was really playing my taste but. So what I didn't, did, I did not more than pick up the jug of marmalade, and I took to work. And in 1996, I I created my breakfast martini. But then you know you think you create something totally unique, which has never been done before. And then I discovered years and years so later some, yes. that somebody else has done this. Nothing is new. No, nothing but, is you new. Know. But it is how you do it. Mm. How you create a great cocktail that is very simple to do that the consumer, remember, mm. it always has been the consumer carrying our creation around the world. Today is easy because it's all social media. Yeah, absolutely. But on those days, to make us a drink iconic, it's uh, it wasn't easy. But because it was intrigue as a name and the simple ingredient, mm. it, you know, it just went with that. 
And I got even more in trouble with Sue the day after because my marmalade, her marmalade wasn't there to find. So you can imagine, you know, I've got to rush, quick run in the shop, run by another, you know. But 25 years later, oh, I mean, that's fantastic. testimony. Actually, for our listeners, could you just explain how to make a breakfast yes, martini, certainly. please? Um, I use a 50 milliliter of gin, good quality gin. You choose your canvas, you choose your gin. You know, whatever you have at home is fine. Then uh, I use a 15 milliliter of control, right? Which is orange, uh, orange based mm-hmm. liqueur, yeah. but more on the dry side. Yeah. Then I use a 15 milliliter of fresh lemon juice, right? And one good teaspoon of marmalade, orange marmalade. Uh, I use a shredded orange marmalade, oh, Wilkinson, okay. uh, if I can find. But good orange marmalade is fine. And the, but before you shake, what I would suggest is that you quickly stir it to mix, because, it, together. To mix it together. Because if you added ice in this mixture, the ice will crystallize the orange mm. marmalade. And so, therefore, all the extraction of the flavor doesn't come out. So I always stir it first for a few seconds. And uh, and then ice, shake, give a good old shake, count up to 10, right? Mm-hmm. Remember, you, you, you have a solid ingredient inside. Yeah. So you want to really make sure that your ice really whip and mix all the ingredients together. And then uh, I would not suggest you to do double strain because I really want that texture to come out. Oh, okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So allow that texture to come out. So it's much more pleasant. And if you use a good strainer, you know, when you do it, a single strainer, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, it's, it's good and, um, and enjoy it, really. A lot of people put a twist of orange, right? If you really want much more an aroma, uh, get the orange and get a shred, you know, the um, shredder. Mm-hmm. Okay. Put, um, that's what, what, what is it called? Call it? <laughs> you know, the peel yeah. thing. The peel, yeah. I can't even remember. It's a but four, you know four, four hole, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, the, um, it's a, what do you call it? Oh, my God. Anyway, we'll just It's the first, first thing in the morning, guys. <laughs> um, and uh, I just uh, use that, you know, to, to do the, the, the Juliette, oil. to make this kind of Juliette, oh, you know. Yes. Uh, shred, yeah. you know, this shredded orange. So rather than a big piece of yeah. Yeah. And it just goes inside and creates the oh, aroma. Nice. And the, so the nice texture, maybe you can just pick that up while you're drinking yeah. and bite into that, you know. So it's good fun. to get the recipe from you exactly, you know, because yes. you've broken it down perfectly and to why people need to do certain things. Another one we just want to have as well is about your world's most expensive cocktail that okay. you made. Tell us about that and why you put it well, together. Uh, again, you know, it's nice. I'm always searching for new things. I mean, one of the things I, I have, I have one of the finest collection of vintage spirits mm. there is in the world. I come out with this concept. I always played since from the 80s when I used to have a more than one bottle of something. If I have an old bottle of bourbon from the 1800s, uh, I used to think about to make an old fashion, the original fashion of the time. So I made a different world cult, uh, cocktail, you know, in the way two years ago we celebrated the world, uh, the 100 years of Negroni. So therefore I made uh, 
the original Negroni with the original ingredient wow. of when Conte Negroni was drinking this drink. That means using the Campari from the 1920, uh, sweet verma from the 1920, and gin from the 1920. I made the world all this gin, uh, martini because uh, I can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by using Why not? Gin, yeah, <laughs> by using gin from the late 1800, orange um, bitter from the 1800 and and the uh, Nolly Pratt from the late 1800. So make the original martini when it was created, basically, the, the new face of the martini. And uh, so I, I have done that in the past, but in 2012, I said, what else can I do? So I said, I'd like to break the Guinness Book of Record for the world of this cocktail, which I really love. That's what I'm... I wanted to do, mm. not to make more expensive, because if I wanted to make more expensive, really, for the ingredient that I use, I should, I should have charged double, yes. right? Yeah. I just want to cover the cost, you know, because the Guinness Book of Records asks you exactly what, how much quantity you use and what cost each ingredient, not how selling point, mm. you know, but it's the cost of the spirits. So I went to the Guinness Book of Records and uh, say I want to make the world all this cocktail and they were not interesting they, oh. they, they, they wouldn't accept that they said you can make the most expensive oh. not the oldest so I said okay I'll go make the, old, the most expensive one but I'm not going to make the most expensive one but I put the jury in, in uh, or yes because that's been you know. done hasn't it uh, but actually use an ingredient mm. that luxurious and unique so I use a, a kumo from 1770 I use a cognac from 1788, which you think about. Uh, Captain Cook was discovered Australia at that time. The, wow. the year before the French Revolution or the American Constitution, George Washington was making his campaign to become to be the very first president of the United wow. States. So, and then uh, Curacao from 1860, unification of Italy, the beginning of the Civil War, you know, American Civil War, and uh, Langustra Bitter from 1900. And those four ingredients made over 700, almost 750 years of history. So therefore, anyone around the world, now especially with luxurious spirits, I mean, think about whiskey, how expensive they are, or cognac, or any uh, refined spirits they are, can make the most expensive cocktail, Mm. right? Which is fine, I don't care. But no one in the world ever, I hope, will ever be able to make the world oldest. Mm. 750 years of history in one glass. And you tasted, didn't you go to town? I did. I remember yeah. being yeah. there. There were a lot of people there. A lot of people. We were all very that. nervous yeah. for you. Yeah, I was even more nervous. Remember Peter Dorelli? Yeah. I, I was opening up this bottle of Kubel from 1770. It hasn't been opened for, for, for you know, first century. And I was trying to open it. And he had this solid wax, almost a, uh, yes. cement around. And I was trying to chip it and trying to break it. And I couldn't break it not to, not to smash the bottle. Yeah. Yeah, because they're having perfection in the glass. You know, they have a hair bubble. You know, they have a hair bubble in this uh, hand blow bottle. Mm. So you have to be very delicate, very, very be careful. So I was doing this and the telecamera, film, camera and crew, everybody taking picture, and I couldn't open that bottle. <laughs> so 
Peter Dorelli goes, typical of him, he says, anyone for Black & Decker? <laughs> so I like to open up the bottle. And eventually I managed to open up that bottle. Did, I did not sweat. I really sweat to open up that whole bottle, you know. And eventually it all happened like magic. Oh. It really was magic. I, I, I was fortunate enough, I tasted the tiniest, tiniest Well, you remember, I used to go around. With and the, dipping the, the straw in. Yeah. And I remember... There was Dell there, there was Eric, there was Alex, there was everyone there. Apart from me. But the thing as well, what stuck in my mind was exactly what you just said, Salvatore, about tasting the history. And it was like tasting another moment of history when you did it. And I I didn't want to drink anything. I didn't want to drink any coffee or tea or anything for as long as possible afterwards. (laughs) I wanted that to stay. Because if you think about, you know, when you say liquid history, it is um, you and you talk about luxury, yes, but you have an experience. Yes. That you can only do in one lifetime. Yes. All right. I mean, I remember once I had a customer uh, who came to the bar, an American gentleman, you know, he sit down and uh, I went over to him and he said, I came here to, to have uh, an experience. I said, okay. And he said, I, I love cognac and I love what you do. And I said, of course, never read the person how much money he has. Mm. You know, you're trying to give them a hint that it will be expensive, obviously. So I started to bring a bottle of cognac to him from 1811, Napoleon, marching over to Russia. Every bottle that I present, I try to bring a piece of history with that. So it gives you much more a canvas and more uh, an importance about the event, what you're going to do. And I finished off with a bottle of cognac from 1802. And I had about two shots that left. Right, I'm talking about in the ninth, in the eighty, late eighty, and it was five hundred pounds a shot, extraordinary amount of money, right? So I said, think about what happened that time. You know, uh, Napoleon was marched over to Corsica to conquer Corsica because he was born and raised there. Uh, he was Italian, and we finish off now. Corsica is to be French, okay? But then I mentioned Thomas Jefferson. Who I adore, I, I think he's an intrigue president at that time. He was a French, uh, an American uh, ambassador in France, where he, he developed a love for wine, right? And uh, he wrote about it as well. And he became to be the third president of the United States in 1802. So the sooner I mentioned the words Thomas Jefferson, he was intrigued. He, was he, like, loved, yes. he loved Thomas Jefferson, the history of Thomas Jefferson. So I so said, that's what I'm going to have. Now, bear in mind, uh-huh. he, he find that if you know the price was there, he knew, you know. So I left it. He was drinking it. Now, you can go and buy a bag, and you don't think about how much it's going to cost. But you know, you're never going to talk about. It. You mm-hmm. can buy a suit. You're never going to talk about how much it costs. Shoes, anything, right? But for me, it's about the unique experience. So he started to drink it. Then eventually, I went back to the table, and I see that he had tears oh. in his eyes. So I thought, oh my God, he's thinking about how much it's costing him. You know? <laughs> you know, so I leaned over to him and I said, is everything okay? And he said, here I am. He picked up the glass, he raised the glass. I said, here I am with you, drinking and finish part of history, something that I will never be able to do for the rest of my life. Oh, wow. It's and it's true, isn't And it? that's the yeah. experience. You know, it's a, not the cost because mm. they are work of art. They are a piece of history. You know, imagine that they've been sitting sellers for centuries mm. before a crazy guy like me has this idea of selling what we call 
you know, luxury, liquid history, it's a luxury mm. because it is expensive. It's a unique. Yeah, absolutely. Shall we finish by asking what's one of your greatest experiences in your long and illustrious career? Well, obviously, Stephen Wonder is one of mm. those. I mean, you know, I have many. I mean, I could say I cherish for my life. Mm. I mean, I wrote uh, now 13, 14 books, and uh, which Gladly, I can say they're very, very successful. I mean, my fifth book is the uh, the most uh, uh, the world most sold cocktail book ever, ever. So I sold almost two million copies. So that's uh, quite Mm. impressive for a little guy who came from nowhere. But uh, you know, my experience with cognac, I'm knighted. I mean, uh, there is many things that I could say that I hope young bartender will achieve because. Uh, it's nice even like last night right here and talked and said, Maestro, you know, you are my, the inspiration, mm. you know, and, uh, and uh, everyone called me Maestro, Maestro, Maestro. And uh, it's nice to be called that because it's a sense of, uh, of uh, respect. Because obviously after so many years of experience, I try to do always the best for what I do. Uh, I love what I do. I love what young people are. Uh, are able to achieve, makes me proud. And um, one of the things that I really, I could say, I'm proud is that today I'm real maestro because the Italian government a couple of years ago gave me the honour of uh, master of his own craft, maestro, d'arte and mestiere. So I could tell, now I could truly say, I am a maestro. Wow, that is fantastic and the perfect way to end this. Thank you so much for your time. It's always, always a pleasure and an absolute joy spending time with you. Thank you, Maestro. Oh, thank you very much. (laughs) But really, you know, you're two wonderful people and you are an extraordinary people because you are the true voice of what I love, the art of bartending. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Cocktail Lovers podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please tell your friends and make sure you never miss another episode by simply subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. For more details on the people, places and products mentioned today, head over to our website, thecocktaillovers.com.